Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. I did. Hi, everybody. Hi. That's what I want to hear. Hello. That's what I want to hear that, too. Hello. Mm. It just got sexy. Mm-hmm. Just all <laughs> over the place. I love back. Steve, say something boisterous, oh, exuberant. Oh, uh, hey, howdy, hey. Oh, my gosh. What are you, Ugh. ill? That was gross. <laughs> I come from Earth. 
a planet of outlaws. My name is Peter Quill. There's one other name you might know me by. Star-Lord. Who? Well, Star-Lord, man. Legendary outlaw? Forget it. So here we are. A thief, two thugs, an assassin, and a maniac. But we're not gonna stand by as evil wipes out the galaxy. Oh, what the hell? I don't got that long a lifespan anyway. They call themselves the Guardians of the Galaxy. This might not be the best idea. It's the Film Board, our monthly gathering of special uh, special people talking about special movies. And tonight we are talking about uh, the most specialist of the special, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Open this weekend. Off to a heck of a good start. Uh, and so we're going to get into that. But first, uh, the thugs at the round table, of course. Uh, Steve Sarmento. Yes, good evening, everyone. How's your vacation? What are you doing on this podcast on a vacation? Okay, fine. See you later. <laughs> He's oh, dedicated. You are deeply welcome. Deeply just, welcome. Just stick here. with hey, howdy, hey. Everybody gets only three words tonight. And we're still going to okay. talk for an hour and a half. And Tommy <laughs> Handsome. Hi, friends. Hi, friend. Uh, I'm looking forward to your uh, your opinion. Uh, more Tom loving on science fiction and fantasy. Can't wait <laughs> for to see how this ends. Uh, Mike, how are you, my friend? I am Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, of course. Uh, Andy Nelson. Hey, everybody. And you know who else is on the show today, but not really on the show, is uh, our our friend and very talented actor, uh, Chad Stoops, who was not able to join us, but it's almost like he was because he sent me about half hour of his own commentary in audio. Oh, yeah. And so from time to time, uh, like a delicious little house ad, I'm going to go ahead and insert some Chad. uh, And and it may be set off by likely uh, some sort of Foley sound, maybe an explosion uh, to let you know that Chad is chiming in. Insert some Chad. (laughs) That sounds like a very different podcast that I want to subscribe to. Hello, Chad. Chad Stoops in the house. Thanks for having me on, Pete. Thanks for being with you guys, whoever's here. I hope you're, whoever's here, Tom, if you're not, I'm not waving at you. Andy, if you're here, thumbs up. Love you guys. Thank you. I feel so, I feel so uh, fake. Uh, no, we are, we're going to be talking about the real uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. This is, um, uh, this is the James Gunn-directed uh, epic that kickstarting a new franchise for Marvel, uh, though, of course, still tied into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And uh, it stars uh, everybody, the uh, charming Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, Dave Bautista, Vin Diesel, Bradley Cooper, uh, Michael Rooker, Jamin Hunsu, and weirdly Glenn Close for a a minute. Yeah, I don't Uh, think she knows she's in the movie. I don't think she does either. (laughs) Benicio Del Toro as well. Just very, very brief. uh, Briefly, do we get to see them? Um, But uh, otherwise, it's uh, the start uh, or or it's the start of another uh, tentpole franchise 
how do we think it performed as a film? Who wants to go first? I thought it did well. Do you? Tell yes. me, tell me why. Give us well, a brief, I brief thought, review. I thought it did pretty well from a enjoyment standpoint. I took my seven-year-old daughter to it. She enjoyed it. It wasn't too. Uh, relatively dark. The beginning was a little bit uh, dark, but we got through it, and it was enjoyable. You know, enough sci-fi to keep you interested, and enough shooting and bat killing of, you know, undead bad guys to keep you interested, and and, uh, and a lot of humor. So it was fun. All right. So it's it's good. It's good. That's a reasonably non-committal uh, but positive <laughs> review from from, yeah, from what Uber Mike for. Evans. All right, oh. uh, uh, Tommy, uh, where do you come in? Uh, as is my want. I rarely understood <laughs> exactly what was going on all the time or anyone or who anyone was or what their relations were to each other. Uh, the amount of weird sci-fi fantasy proper nouns thrown at me in the first 20 minutes had me laughing in my seat. <laughs> but instead of getting frustrated, like I usually do with the Hobbit films, I turned that part of my brain off and was like, oh, all of these interesting people, I know who's bad and who's good. And they're all going after this purple glowing thing. And then when I made that decision, I loved it. I thought it was so much fun. I really, really liked it. I'm really glad to hear you say that. That was a that was a committal kind of a, a review. I, I feel like. Yeah, I don't work for Marvel like Mike. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, uh, Steve. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting hearing uh, Tom's perspective on this because that was one of the things as I was reflecting on this movie is it's a superhero type origin film, and they've got to balance all this. We've got to introduce these characters, and since it's a sci-fi film, we've got, you know, some world building to do with these different races, and there's a war going on, and how it was able to balance that with moving the plot forward with having to deliver characters and background and, and the you know, sort of the setup of what's going on in the world uh, that the story takes place in, and you know, I thought it, it delivered on the character piece really well. We have some really interesting characters with some interesting backgrounds, but you know, it was a little short on the world building. I really don't know the history between races and apparently there's some peace treaty or something, but that didn't get in the way of enjoying the film. Uh, I think people that are familiar with the comic books, you know, I'm assuming might have a little bit more, you know, background on that, but it, you were given enough to understand, as, as Tom said, these are the good guys, these are the bad guys, that's about all I need to know. And it, this movie just clicked along for all two hours and, and kept me thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed, uh, you know, every moment, uh, despite the fact I was, I was in a very, very small theater. So I'm, I did not get to see it in Atmos. I saw it at Island Cinema here on South Padre Island, who had <laughs> recently upgraded to digital projections and oh. they had a nice sound system. So it was a very small theater, but uh, picture quality was good. It was really nice seeing it in a small theater with maybe 40 other people. Uh, so it was, you know, there were, there were lots of kids, you know, you could, you could have that sense of excitement, almost like watching it in somebody's really large living room. It was like a big family get together. We, I almost feel like we should post the photo, like of you nearly reaching from end to end of the screen standing in front of it. Uh, that was a, that was a wonderful sense. Of place. It's good that it was upgraded because before that they would just have someone describe the plot to you. <laughs> that was the same person who plays the piano right next to the screen. <laughs> right, exactly. He's uh, very old. <laughs> Andy, what'd you think? You know, I had a lot of fun with it. I um I 
I think that they did. I, I really agree with Steve quite a bit. I, I love the characters. I had so much fun with all of these characters. And the characters surprised me in a lot of ways, which I really enjoyed. Um, I felt the story really kind of fell into just kind of standard comic book story. Uh, you know, like uh, both Tommy and Steve have alluded to, it's just, you know, this kind of plot about all the good guys, the bad guys. There's obviously some sort of treaty or something going on between uh, the planet and, uh, you know, the uh, um, the bad guy that is getting a... a pulled apart by this bad guy who's set on destroying them now. But, uh, you know, it just all kind of felt very comic booky, and I just, I couldn't quite click with the story, but it, it was one of those stories that I, you know, I enjoyed the characters so much that I just kind of went along with it. And I mean, yes, I wish that the story was a little more uh, enjoyable for me, but on the whole, I still really enjoyed it. I I think I agree with you. I, um, I I think one of the challenges, and we can talk more about this. I think one of the challenges is is launching a property like this that is one of the lesser known properties as a as a team film, right? When you think about what they were able to do with the Avengers, a they already had a, a much more widely known team members, and uh, you know, b all of them had already had films. For the most part, right? I'm, you know, so introducing these characters together was something I think they could get away with. This one, I, I had that same sense of, wow, they are jamming a ton uh, into this film um, in in terms of just trying to shoehorn in, you know, little segments of little tweaks of of backstory. And I think that that's what gets us to have these these like micro scenes of the collector and of Thanos and of of you know Nova Prime and and like these just little pieces. But what the film did for me, I think it stood uh, I, I think as a um, as a uh, an enormously fun summer romp. Uh, I I was connected from the very beginning. I think every one of these team members, characters, has wonderful charisma. Uh, I loved watching them on screen, and I, I really enjoyed the the fact that they all uh, r- really it, it, it wasn't uh, a, a, a kind of a Star Lord show, you know. I think it was it was pretty even handed. Um, you know, we, we got to hear from everybody and learn a little bit about everybody in terms of their sort of emotional and uh, their kind of behavior. So I had an enormously good time. I'm firmly in the pro camp. Uh, and I'm going to say it. I think that Chris Pratt's a, a movie star. Yes. Yes. Big time. Yeah. Do you think he'd like me? <laughs> like, I, like I know that he is just one of those guys that you think you could like get along with. He would get along with everyone, but I kind of think he'd like me. Like I feel like we get along together. It's just something to yes. put in this put in the side. No, People, I, let's go to the let's go to the phones. That's the best friends we've never met list, and I actually have a running list of people who I think would really dig me if mm-hmm. they if they only had time to get to know me. Right, and I think Chris Pratt is totally on that list. Yeah. Yeah, I follow him on Twitter. That's got to mean something. <laughs> That's all it takes. <laughs> yes, no, I agree with you, though. I think he is absolutely, I mean, he's just the that perfect mix. But he he pulled off the funny, of course, that I knew he would. But he also really pulled off the physicality yeah. and everything across the, I mean, it was just so much fun whenever he was on screen. It's fantastic to see. Well, I think what's so interesting about him, I mean, just coming from, I mean, there are a lot of, of films, I, you know, he was in, he, he's been in a number of kind of films, but from Parks and, and Recreation, right? And I am not a huge 
parks and recreation person. I am, if that helps what? the conversation. Okay, so, man, the dude went ahead and got cut for this movie. Yeah. Because when he was star as Andy Dwyer, he's not a cut guy. But he did it also for, um, what was it called? Zero Dark Thirty. He's done it right. once before. Oh, you know, that's a good point. I had totally forgotten that he was even in that movie. Yeah. yeah he's gone, he's gone back and forth forth quite a bit and uh you know i think he said that uh you know if if it wasn't for these roles that kind of forced him to do it he would totally just be like 300 pounds <laughs> and, and just be completely lazy because his wife feeds him really well <laughs> right that's awesome i don't think I, I don't think he has general interest in in getting this way unless somebody pays him to <laughs> well i he was, I he think... was pretty cut for the lego movie <laughs> I mean, flat stomach, very hard. You know, it was a uh, you know. It was very flat stomach. That's right. That's right. That's awesome. This movie was awesome. One of the things I really enjoyed about the characters was that they were Quill. Quill. He was really great because he was he wasn't out too outspoken. And I think that's what really attracted uh, me and the audience, I think, to him, was he was never too much. One of the things that I found interesting in this this character, and I think, you know, Chris Pratt brings to this performance, is, uh, you know, we've you've got, when we first meet, well, I guess when we first meet him as an adult, uh, we've got that little, you know, beginning piece, you know, as a, as, a, as a young child. When we first meet, you know, Peter Quill as an adult, that whole opening sequence, you know, to me, I was very, very excited because it was very, you know, I think there was strong references to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, oh, man, did you with, get that? I, I, that's exactly what it looked like. You know, but then as he's cruising around on his ship, I'm like, wow, this, okay, this guy is Indiana Jones and Han Solo. That I mean, right. it's this, you know, yeah. you know, with a little bit of comedy thrown in, I thought this, if you know, He's establishing, you know, quite, you know, pull, being able to pull two of those iconic characters and, and merging them and, and making it your own, to me, just, you know, made this film so much more enjoyable. But I just was like, you know, the writing, the ability, you know, of an actor to pull that off, you know, that's a lot of heavy lifting to do as an actor to carry that and and to not feel that it was cheap or, you know, an imitation of to create something new out of two very iconic characters, I thought that to be felt, you know, just, yeah, I guess it just raised the bar as far as enjoyment of the film. Of there was this, a whole bunch of the times next generation. There was a whole bunch of times in this movie that he shot first. Yes. <laughs> I think almost every time he shot first. If he wasn't running away, he shot first. He was shooting first. <laughs> I also thought it was great that the movie never took itself seriously you never thought that there was going to be this layer of cheese now this is the cheese part several points that were so great like um this part when zoe saldana um who played gamora is saved by peter quill played by chris pratt and uh <laughs> they're having this like romantic moment and it just looks like it's going to be cheesy where he's like holding her and it actually deserves a romantic moment but it's just this quick moment he just saves her life, and he almost died saving her life. And she's like, what happened? And he goes, well, I, you were about to die, and, uh, and I, I, I saved your life. And I, I was something inside of me. I, I, for, for a second, I, for, I, he goes, no, he goes, something inside of me. I was, I, 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 was, I was a hero. I mean, I don't mean to brag or anything like that, but it was, it was really cool. And 
just like made fun of itself. It made fun of the fact that they could have gone cheesy with it. So I think I believe that they uh, are running this in the same Marvel Cinematic Universe. So the yeah. idea being that that uh, theoretically this is like on some other side of the galaxy. I mean, of galaxy of the events that happen in like the Avengers and those movies. At the same um, time, yes, that literally could be. Um, in fact, I think it was rumored at one point that they, there was going to be like a cameo of Iron Man um, in the movie because of, of a comic book tie-in. But um, so, you know, it's all one cinematic universe. So it's not only uh, heavy lifting the characters and introducing all the characters, but also, you know, the, the whole universe as it is. Because, you know, with, with the, they don't really have to do that with the Avengers and, and, uh, and Iron Man and those type of movies because, you know, it's Earth. And they just kind of add a little ball, a little Asgard or stuff around. Right. But but for this, it's like literally, you know, heavy loading a ton of just. And I don't think they did a very good job of it, really, um, with the like the Cree. You know, if you're a comic book reader, you can kind of just through osmosis and and kind of figure things out. You know, when they mention things like the Cree and and, and Zandos and those type of places, but but like. Just watching the movie, you're completely lost. I well, think with, and, with why we, things are happening and why things aren't happening. Mike, are you are you did are you a comic book reader of Guardians? Uh, I didn't read a lot of Guardians, but I've read I've read a lot of Marvel in my past. Right. So you know, I'm I'm not either. But it, Guardians of the Galaxy, for those who don't know, was originally published in in January of 1969, and they have yeah. in fact done crossovers. Really? Yeah, oh, uh, wow. they, they have uh, done crossovers with the Fantastic Four and with Thor. Uh, a lot of them with Thor, with um, you know Miss Marvel. A lot with the Avengers uh, in 1978, Captain America, the thing. So um, these. Uh, you know, there have been crossovers with the Guardians for yeah. decades. And, in fact, we've already sort of seen it because we met Thanos at the end of, what was it, Thor? Um, yeah, I believe so. so little, yeah, little, Loki, little, Loki was making a deal with Thor or with uh, Thanos. With Thanos. And we met was the it? Collector before. Yeah, the and collector, we met the Collector. Right. Yeah, right. somebody that's told different. him. Right. Well, and the Collector, wasn't the Collector uh, the just the end of uh, Avengers? Right? Avengers. The Collector was at the end of Thor The Dark World because that's when they bring the ether or whatever it was, the red stuff. That's where we met the Collector, and I think Thanos was at the end of... Yeah, and Scarlet Witch. Yeah. That was Captain America. So we have so so we've seen them before. The crossover precedent is is there for these guys. And I, you know, in terms of the general timeline, like the the comic, uh, you know, started the Guardians of the Galaxy in the thirty first century, and they and there have been a number of timeline spinoffs and and uh, to get them into sort of more contemporary period. But the movie, you know, as you say, it's part of the cinematic universe. It really it sets up at the very beginning. You know, Peter Quill is is taken in 1988, and we meet him 26 years later, 2014. Right. Like that's the, so the the time period. It's a galaxy far, far away, but it, we're in the right period. Okay, right. That it's makes not sense. a long time ago. Right. No. Yeah, it's it's, it's it, today it, a galaxy so far, far away. It's and, you know at the end of the movie, they even said there will be you know will we see the Guardians of the Galaxy again? So so obviously you know the, Mar- the Marvel guys are are sort of preloading. I'm not going to say the Prometheus effect, but they're at least doing a little bit of preloading of this and you know other properties that they want to be able to expand upon. Right. Well, and the, could and they will um, the Guardians of the Galaxy ever meet the the she- the Shield gang? Well, I'm I'm well, almost like, like sure I they're going to meet someone, and yeah. it's going to happen on July 28th, 2017, during Guardians of the Galaxy 2. But yeah, you the, think the, that that definitely means that they're going to cross over? In the comic book, in the comic books running right now, 
the um, Iron Man is part of this group. Oh, okay. So it's, but you know, again, how how much they're beholden to to uh, what the comic books are doing, you know, is obviously not that not, not much. They, it's, it's, so options are open. All right. So that's the that's the comic backstory. Uh, we what do we think of the other? Uh, I think some of the the I don't know. Are there going to be riskier characters? <laughs> Which is the riskier one, the uh, CG raccoon or the tree? What do you mean? I don't know. In what, terms of characters that you really vibe with, I thought they were fantastic, both of them myself. So I thought so too, and I was ready out of the gate to be annoyed by Bradley Cooper yeah. as the raccoon, not because it's Bradley Cooper, but just immediately just sort of making snarky comments. And then it turns out that it's a raccoon. I was like, "Oops!" No, you um, know when he this had is his, the problem. His prison, his Norma Ray prison speech was, I thought, really locked it for me. I was totally yes. in it. Of and course, he, it's so sad that you had to work on you and make you a monster. And it, it, it gave him a reason. He wasn't just exactly. snarky. I mean, he had anger for a reason, and I really ended up liking him yeah. really quickly. Same with Groot. Like, I, I ended up liking – I was ready to be annoyed by everyone. <laughs> and just apparently because I'm a horrible person. But, I mean I, – and not by everyone, but I mean all the cartoon people. But everyone really – they had so much personality, as has been said ad nauseum, of this. The character work was so small but so good that I just loved it. Well, even Drax, I enjoyed so much more than I was expecting because normally you have like the big muscle bound character who is just kind of this dumb character. You know, that's kind of the, the stereotypical way they play those characters. But he was of this race that was, you know, took everything exactly literal in the way that they spoke and he was very intelligent and the stuff that he said was just it it was constantly cracking me up because you know oh that'll go way over his head nothing goes over my head my (laughs) reflexes are too fast i will catch it who who exactly inserted these sticks up their butts (laughs) right (laughs) felt like the beginning of the movie was incredible like it started off and the movie was just i'm in tears in the beginning of the movie I was in tears in the beginning of the movie. Like, they went from, like, the first few seconds kind of laughing a little bit because he's always got his tape recorder to him saying goodbye to his mother, this little kid saying goodbye to his mother. And then not, I mean, there's so much symbolism, like, you know, the opportunities that we miss out in life. You know, we have these little moments where our parents ask us to do something and we don't do it for one reason or another. And then we regret not doing those things um, when we have the chance. And, uh, you know, it shows it right there in this this kid, you know, played by, um, again, by uh, Chris Pratt when he was a kid. Well, I mean, he didn't play the kid, but, you know, the kid who was playing Chris Pratt's character, Peter Quill, uh, his mom reaches out her hand and says, you know, give me your hand. You know, give, give me your hand, Peter. And, and he he doesn't. He he can't because he's too hurt he doesn't want to say goodbye and his mom dies and he doesn't get a chance to hold her hand and there's so many tie-ins throughout the movie that you wouldn't imagine i mean they just tied it in so beautifully so well and it wasn't overdrawn done you weren't expecting those things but in the end like the reason why he was able to save his life not to give away everything but oh hey here okay where i go i'm gonna give it away the ending Shut your ears if you don't want to hear this. But he's going to die. And if he doesn't touch um, Gamora's hand, he'll die. But what he remembers is his mom saying, give me your hand, Peter. Give me your hand. It just like ties it together so beautifully. And you watch that and you say, oh, that is awesome. 
that is really cool. It's like the only character I felt like was really kind of, I don't know, not as well well developed, I guess you could say, as the rest was the, was Gamora. It's like sort of, you know, uh, daughter of Thanos, massive assassin. Uh, well, <laughs> that that, hurts, that, that hurts my feelings. Is that character bio? <laughs> daughter of Thanos. <laughs> No, no, no. It's well. like, it's like it, she built her up to be like this, like assassin and and you know really badass. I guess you could say, and she ended up being sort of well, Starlord's love interest throughout the whole movie. I mean, you know, oh, it, it almost it almost like she, she didn't hold her own weight as a character. Well, I, and I think that was goes to sort of that larger larger Marvel universe, and her her character's backstory is tied to Thanos and these characters and Ronan, and we don't get a whole lot about. That history, yeah, and so we we know there's more to be told. Whereas with with Rocket Raccoon, it's 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 Peter Quill seeing the back of Rocket with all these little electronic probes or whatever attached, and that right. like, oh my gosh, there's something more to this raccoon. Yeah, don't, that don't he's been abused. He's been there's something going on with. But with Gamora, we we know there's more. And I, to me, I felt disappointed because. It's it's there, but there's no way for us to get that information. And, and that might be, but I mean, don't, the way it felt like it, you take all the all five of the characters when they're first introduced, right? They they basically build them like like we don't know anything about them, and then they build on them. And with Gamora, it's like they almost they almost told us everything about her when they introduced her, and then she started getting like weaker as the movie went on. Like she was doing less uh, cool space assassin stuff, you know, as the movie went on, where everyone else was like doing more cool stuff, you know, you know, the Groot's making, you know, fireflies out of his hand and and making a ball of, of spaceship protection um, cocoon and you know all this hailing people with his, you know, limbs of pokey in the chest thing and and you know and all these other people star lord's more getting more interesting right and and uh, it's almost like eh, that's, that was the reaction i had i didn't I share don't... that one i didn't share that one that's and usually i agree with mike on this kind of stuff but i you know in that one i felt like i i thought she was great and i thought there was enough of that sort of uh human element that came between um, Star Lord and and Gamora that you know him trying to teach her to dance. I mean those those little human pieces. Like we we learned she was an assassin, and then we get to see her soften up in their relationship. And I thought that ended up being being a really nice uh, arc. And she we do get a little bit big, of we do big. get a little bit of her backstory. How uh, you know Thanos had actually killed her parents, and she wasn't really his daughter. Right. And this, I, I think there is some interesting element there, and I, I see a lot of the damage in her, and I I enjoyed it, but. I, I won't disagree that I, I think that she could have been written a little stronger, but I, I still enjoyed her character quite a bit. She got a great action scene. She got many yeah, action scenes, but I mean, she, she really had did. a really big action scene with her. I don't I, with robot sister or whatever right. that person was. What was her name? Neptuna? Napoleon? Nebula. Nebula. <laughs> Neptuna. Yeah. Like that was like I would agree a little bit more with what you guys are saying. Not that I disagree, but if she was getting beat up and then Star Lord saved her. But that's oh, not what okay. happened. They gave yeah. her her yeah. own thing. Yeah. And, and so the the only part I had a problem with that and this is just my little my little um um pet peeve on some of these um movies are it's like whenever they have a female character, they always seem to get um paired up with the female villain. Well, yeah. You know, it's like it's like all this stuff's going on, but somehow you can only beat up. You know, you, it's like preordained. 
That's what you have to do because they have a female villain. So Can we reflect on that just a little bit and just check me? Because did they do that with Black Widow, too? When you think about Black Widow, and I, I say that as a bit of a tie-in because as a strong female kind of military character, right. uh, uh, Nicole Perlman, who co-wrote the, the script, the screenplay for Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, at least she's down as, as have, having written the treatment for Black Widow. So who knows if she's going to end up writing the script. Um, no, Black Widow kicked a lot of guys I think she did. I think that's ASS. that's one that that maybe was was counter to. Um, well, was there a female villain in, in Avengers? I don't think she's run into one. Right. Well, it just I mean, it that's seems refreshing. Like you, I think you often see like these team yeah. things. They seem to always do that. Yeah. I don't know if it's just my my you know mis observation or not, but that it was like all this stuff built up, and then suddenly the end battle scene. That's all she do, did is sort of counter Nebula. Counter the other woman. Exactly. But, but I, I think that they get away with that because it was her, quote, sister. No, right. agreed. No, I mean, there's reasons yeah, I, for it. Yeah. But yeah. do you think it has anything to possibly do with the fact that it's really difficult to have a fight scene between a man and a woman? I think that's, feel I think that's okay. a lot. Of, yeah, I think that's a lot of what they avoid. I, I, that's, so I don't know if it's. I've always felt that, and so you saying it maybe like a woman beating up a man—that's fine. A man okay. beating up a woman is maybe a problem. But I don't know. Like in the world of comic book fighting, when it's all when the women are essentially as tough as the men. I mean, she—we had scenes of her fighting with uh, with Peter Quill, right? Which, yeah, I mean, which, were which was a nice. That was a nice and, sequence. And I, you know, I don't think. I, oh, that's I right. The whole beginning, and then with yeah. Rocky in their yeah. rocket. I'm sorry, everything. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I you're don't right. think it's. Yeah, I think it's. It's different when it's. You know, just like somebody abusing somebody. Uh, in these comic book movies, it's all done in this. You know, comic fighting way. I mean, you know, it's. I. I don't think that. You know, I. I I don't know. I don't know if they're doing it because oh well, she should have. We should have her fight another woman. I don't think they're deliberately thinking that. It seems to me that it's. In the context of the story, oh, it would be great to have the two sisters have to go head to head. And yes, it just happens to fall into that cliche of, oh, well, you know, when when the woman fights, I mean, it's the same thing in Harry Potter when, you know, Mrs. Weasley has to fight, uh, you know, Helena Bottom Carter's crazy character. Spoilers. <laughs> I've just started the first book. <laughs> okay. are, you, are you serious? No, I'm just joking. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm, I'm just joking. I don't know how to read. Um <laughs> And to say what Andy was saying about how much I'm sorry, what was the big tough guy's name? Drax. 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 Um, that he had two level. He had the backstory, but then also when he was wrong and tried to take on bad guy Magoo and his army, then he became like super sensitive. So he, it's like everyone had a couple little things that signified their personality. So it didn't feel like that old trope of everyone just has one signifier, which is neat. Small writing, but for a good reason. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was so well acted, so well played out, so well. Um, the, at the end of my viewing of it, everyone clapped, but I didn't feel like people clapped because it was just a good movie. I felt like people clapped because we all felt at the same time that all around this movie was heartfelt, it was funny, it was well acted. The characters were diverse. The story was well told. I didn't even know anybody in this movie, really. I never, except for maybe the Rocket, Rocket the Raccoon. I, I kind of knew him. But everybody else, 
I had no former knowledge of. And so this was a brand new thing for me. I wasn't expecting anything about them. I just kind of, in fact, I kind of went in feeling like they were all going to be sort of stupid. Kind of just, it's just kind of a, uh, you know, that kind of movie about, oh, this kind of bunch of ragtags that don't belong together are going to figure out in the end their greatest asset are them each other and themselves and along the way they'll find friendship and love oh my god man i hope it's not about that overall uh, how do you how do you feel about the script written by uh, written by james gunn and uh, that nicole person nicole perlman perlman right yeah james gunn comes off of uh, you know he'd done uh, one of the segments for movie 43 um he he wrote super uh which i had uh you know i i had a lot of problems with that movie that was a tough one for me to get through is that the one with rain wilson yes yeah i haven't seen that yet but i saw slither slither right yeah slither one. was fun scooby-doo 2 monsters unleashed oh <laughs> i think he just wrote that one though, he did right? that's what i was yeah. saying he wrote that i was oh, yeah, talking okay. about the script the things that he okay, wrote sure, he also sure, sure. you know he's also on deck for having written one of my uh one of my favorites dawn of the dead uh with george romero uh, the yes. Zack snyder version of it 2004 yes. which we've done on the show before uh so what do you, what do you think about uh, how he pulled together the just the script apart from the problems we've already had with you know Woman-on-woman violence. I have some things to say. Just say it. Would you like me to go first? Of course, crying out loud, man. Say that's it. how I. That's how I do conversations. I have something to say, and then I just sit there quietly. <laughs> oh, are you raising your hand? You know, it's an audio podcast. Like you're oh, raising your problem. hand. Oh, because I'm always filming yes. myself whenever I do something, so I get confused. Um, I thought it was. I mean, I'm not a superhero, as we know, as I've said over and over again. I'm not a superhero guy. I'm not a fantasy guy, stuff like that. I thought that they did a phenomenal job with such a weird—and I think that Marvel deserves an enormous pat on the back for the courage that they took with this film. I mean, the very—the opening is so dark, and then to go to a kind of funny dance sequence with this anachronistic soundtrack, there were so many smart things that, that like, grounded the film and made it so funny and so relatable um, while having all of this crazy stuff happen. It was just—I I can't imagine how many people got scared— during the making of it or the reading of it because it walked that line incredibly well and that's a very weirdly thin line to walk. And I thought it was just completely, it was just like two arms open just sort of embracing me into this weird world and I loved it. Mm. What? Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. I think it's, it, it, they wrote this script for, uh, in a way that made it okay, like we've all said. I mean, you kind of, there's a lot of stuff that's thrown at you to kind of develop this world. And it's not as clean as it could be. They could probably have found a better way to make it a little cleaner and really build the world so it all makes a little more sense to us. And, you know, on second or third viewing, maybe I'll catch all the little things that they were saying to really fully understand what the, the entire story is. But on the whole, I think they're writing in a way where they understand that this is going to be a really fun film and people are going to have a good time and just enjoy it. And, I mean, I think they, they succeeded. In, my, in what I just said, Andy, I should have said that I don't care about that stuff personally. Yeah. So that world building isn't important to me because even if you were to lay it out for me on a Venn diagram, I still never understand it. So they got the stuff that is important to me very right. Yeah. Uh, it, it really reminded me the most – I know we talked about Han Solo – 
and Raiders of the Lost Ark, it reminded me of the movie Serenity. Yeah. So much, so much of the idea of, it reminded me of a Joss Whedon script of really like taking on these big ideas and then sort of poking fun holes in them, making fun of certain tropes, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and and I think uh, Nathan Fillion is actually the voice of one of the characters in the prison. Yeah, I think I saw his. Yeah, I saw his yeah. name yeah. in the credits. He's the one okay. that group uh, jabs up the nose. That's right. Oh, oh really? That's right. Yeah. Oh, funny. Okay, that's so, the big guy. Yeah, to follow up on, on you know sort of what Andy was saying, I think this this to me felt sort of like a comic book adaptation. You know, I think ever since you know Christopher Nolan took you know Batman and brought it into the gritty real world. There's been this, you know, tendency to try to make these films uh, set in a, a realistic world versus a, a comic book world. And the, the comic book universe, you know, you've got some, you can stretch the limits of sort of reality a little bit. You can suspend your disbelief a little bit more. I mean, we have characters that, as I'm counting them, like they, these Guardians of the Galaxy, almost all of them, actually, I think, yeah, with the exception of the raccoon, all of them sort of were like had very close near death experiences. You've got Drax, who apparently is beaten within an inch of his life by Ronan. You've got, you know, Star Lord and Gamora floating in space, freezing to death. You know, oh, that, was, that was pretty good. You know, and yeah. the, I mean, which were all great, powerful emotional moments. But it's not like you're like, well, gosh, you know, that if they were really in outer space, you know, it's you don't you know you're in a comic book, and it, it it's a nice bold step, and it reminded me. I'm going to sort of sidetrack here for a second, but it reminded me a lot of the animated film Hotel Transylvania, which was one of the first computer, you know, animated films that really went back to that uh, sort of like Looney Tunes, you know, cartoon style because Pixar does computer animation, but it's still very real world physics. Whereas you get that wacky Tex Avery, you know, thing, you know, people breaking apart, you know, eyeballs popping out of heads all that stuff happening, you know, and we haven't seen that for a long time in a, or at all, really, in a computer animated film. So it's like, well, let's, this is a cartoon. This is the next generation of cartoons. We can do that. We can put in these wacky physics. And to me, Guardians of the Galaxy was sort of recapturing that, hey, we are a comic book, you know, and we're going we're gonna to really be rooted in that sort of comic book, you know, universe of, you know, what we can get away with. And to me, that was something that said it, slightly apart tonally from a lot of the other, you know, Marvel films that we've seen, which, you know, take themselves very seriously. Whereas this one, you know, when you, you've got your big showdown with your villain, you're going to work, we're, we're going to have a dance off, you know, yeah. right. It's, yeah. it's, it's, you've got that silliness thing come in, but to me, it didn't really undermine the story because it really felt true to what it was being for itself. Yeah, Agreed. no, that's. I think that is. Uh, I, I think that's a really great point. It's this. It, it's a. This is a movie that that had no um, misunderstanding of its identity. All right, it's, it, its intention was really to celebrate uh, its comic worldliness, and I think it it really, you know, did well on that front. Some of it, you know, I. I wonder because we have this sense of reality in the Avengers. We have these like fantastical beings who can do wonderful things, but they're grounded in uh, you know New York. Um, we have certain liberties that we get not by taking fantastical beings and putting them in space. Uh, you know, we're we're allowed to break more rules as long as the rules are intrinsic to you know the world we've set up. We can go ahead and break <laughs> all the the rules that we would have in in New York and and uh, get away with a lot more. Um, you know, 
the artificial gravity is is out. Well, let's not sure. think too hard about artificial gravity. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's more of a playground. It, yeah, yeah, that's a really good way to put it. It's a, it feel it felt very much like a playground to me. James Gunn, I think, really delivered a fantastic film, and and coming off of his, he he sort of falls into that same um uh, that same category of a, a younger less experienced um filmmaker he hasn't made a lot of movies he hasn't directed a lot of movies uh and the movies he direct he's directed are really very indie um or the pilot of the tv series human z uh and that's like chimpanzee and human that's right. Uh, he did that. And so, that's... yeah, human Z. Uh, and so, it, you know, he comes off, and this was after Slither. Uh, so he comes off of these things, and now he gets this giant tentpole, and, and I just, I, I, you know, it, it felt good to, to watch him uh, sort of prove the mechanics right. Yeah, I mean, he came out of trauma. So, I mean, it's yeah. great seeing that, uh, that he's kind of uh, put on the big boy pants and is uh, making some of the, something that's a huge budget. That I think is going to really succeed, and a lot of people are going to just kind of fall into becoming big fans of the Guardians of the Galaxy now in the Marvel circles. Yeah, I absolutely well, coming agree. Coming out of that that trauma camp, there was one other name that, that came to mind. If he's on a career path of who he could be, the next generation version of that would be James Cameron, who came out of the Roger Corman school. Oh yeah, right, right. right. And, you know, then it was because I was just reading Entertainment Weekly, they were doing a little retrospective on, you know, the Terminator and how he put that together and that being his big break. And, you know, looking at James Gunn coming out of that that trauma world and being able to pull stuff together, you know, low budget story, you know, type of thing. And now launch something like this that is, you know, on track to be this huge summer blockbuster, uh, you know, maybe we should be expecting great things from him in another 10, 15 years, you know, the next king of the universe or whatever. Well, is that I, what James Cameron is? The king oh, well, of, it, self, the king okay, of okay, his sorry. universe. Self uh, yeah, self king of the world, yeah. yeah. And, and then, okay, then we have the Zoe Saldana connection there as well. And I'm realizing she is set for, what, she's got three franchises she's doing right now, Star Trek, Avatar, and now Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, she's... She's on track to. And she's my girlfriend. Busy. I don't know if you guys knew that. We're very happy together. Don't tell her that I told you that. She's and she's she's now played blue and green. That's right. Uh, and so she's on her way to get the uh, coveted Roy G. Biv Award. <laughs> Is that like an egot? Yeah, it's like an, an egot. It's her own personal three flavors cornetto. <laughs> That's oh, right. Man. That's right. Uh, so uh, anyhow, it's uh, it, it really yeah. I think she did, he did a great job, and I I think he did as we've we've uh, talked about we've uh, the um, uh, the the fact that he created he crafted a story that from the very beginning uh, and that opening sequence was tough. That kid yeah was great. Like it, the the young Peter Quill, I, like the shock and uh, that of that experience of, of his mother passing, uh, I thought was a terrific moment and really drove me into the film in a, in a, uh, a positive way. Uh, the, so watching the credits and the credits go by and uh, my kids, you know, I, they, they know when they need to stay to the end. So there's mm. never any question. And, and uh, uh, you know, we're standing, we're staring at the names going by and my son looks over and he says, wow, what are all those names? And, of course, it's the visual effects team. 
there are like 10,000 people on the visual effects team uh, right. for, for this film. Uh, I, I, I think they should um, likely, uh, instead of counting the effect shots, they should count the practical shots uh, in this film because it seems inverted. What did you think of the general uh, look and tone of the visuals? Fantastic. Really great. Never got annoyed, never felt like it was too... I knew where everything was. I knew where people were fighting. I knew all that stuff, and that sometimes is lacking in a lot of movies like this because just because they have computer effects, they think they need to use computer effects. And this one felt like a... And maybe it comes partly from his indie background of needing to do things as practically as possible and then use the computer effects to enhance it versus using the computer as the camera, which is always great for me. Yeah, and, and it, it continued kind of uh, that whole comic book world that, uh, that Steve was talking about. The whole look of it, everything just feels so, so comic booky. Nothing feels too grounded in reality, but it still feels real enough to, to buy into the world. And I think that they kind of just stayed very consistent with that all the way through. And, I, you know, I, I'm guessing a lot of the looks of the specific things they took from the comics, like the that strange, what was it like, that the, the giant being's head that the yeah. collector and all those people were oh, kind of living in and, and mining. Yeah, that was just like one of those fantastic things. It's like, well, that is a, an amazing thing that uh, I never had thought about before, but it was, it was brilliant. And even just the beginning world where uh, Star-Lord lands and he's going to you know, look at that, uh, you know, try to find the orb. And also just like part of that world, just the way he turns on his little thing. And it creates kind of the, the historical image of that world as so he can figure out where he's going and everything. It was just, I mean, it, it all was uh, just a very exciting way to create this world and it worked really well. And and you know, I didn't have any problems with any of the visuals in it. I thought they all were just stunning and uh, worked perfectly for this kind of fun comic book world that they were creating here. And use more always... smartly than they needed to be. Definitely. You're kind of on a roll with that. Why do I keep saying that over and <laughs> no, over again? You said it about the apes thing too. I'm a really big for movies like this, especially for summer tent poles and for movies that the film board sees, like when something is smarter than it needs to be, and I want to talk about not right now, but at some point I'd like to talk about the soundtrack a little bit. Oh yeah. I was just uh, get it's to just that. so much smarter yeah. than it needs to be, and that just makes my heart burst. It just makes me so happy, and that makes me feel that James Gunn is really someone to watch. Well, and I before we dump into the music, I just want to throw in uh, the Ben Davis cinematography because you know, I think so much of the the look and the movement of the film um, he has a really interesting history, you know. I mean, the, this is a guy who's got, you know, I don't know, two dozen uh, credits, uh, uh, cinematography credits. And and he seems to jump from uh, from sort of genre and uh, budget um, really dramatically uh, throughout his career. You know, he went from sort of Hannibal Rising to Stardust to Kick-Ass to uh, Wrath of the Titans to Seven Psychopaths to, you know, uh, uh, A Long Way Down to Guardians of the Galaxy to Before I Go to Sleep, his next film of the uh, Nicole Kidman uh, mystery thriller, oh, wow. uh, and then to Avengers Age of Ultron. So, I mean, it's like every other film the guy takes is an indie, and I, I or not an indie, but it's a smaller budget kind of a... Um, you know, a, a very sort of human to a giant, uh, you know, sci-fi fantasy spectacle. And I feel like 
uh, you can really feel it in the way he moved the camera around, particularly the way they explore the ship, you know, uh, uh, Star-Lord's ship, the way they explore the planets. Um, I, I really, you know, that opening sequence, his his singing in the rain uh, sequence through the, the Raiders Temple is, uh, I, I thought was a real testament to that, like taking a really dark kind of moody environment and moving the camera in a way that felt like a musical to me. And I, I, I was really touched by that. And I think it goes to much of his, um, you know, his uh, experience, um, you know, behind the camera. That's cool, because that also sort of can be the same thing with James Gunn. Right. Like, if you have this small sensibility, then you'll bring that cool sensibility to a larger canvas. Now, you just said it better than I did. Thank that's you. E- that's exactly what I meant. I'm holding <laughs> my finger to my nose. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> so we keep talking about musical moments, and I was going to come back, come back to Andy and talking about you know even though he's seen with his mother, and what that does, and you know that the powerful scene, and it does connect you know later back into sort of the, you know the final confrontation. But what it also sets up is this great character piece for Star Lord, where he's carrying around the awesome mixtape. But then how the film, you know, how, how they use that in the film. Uh, you can have a scene where Peter Cole just, you know, he's got his headphones on and he's sitting, and then that song is playing, so it's, we know that's what he's listening to, but then that song carries over and becomes the soundtrack of the scenes that we're seeing so that we have this sort of, you know, mid-70s soundtrack in this film set in 2014, but that it's used so well for the audience, but also it's giving us just so much insight into this character of Star-Lord, of this strong connection he has, and it, it's adding more depth to this character, where we can do it sort of in a multi-purpose way. And to me, that was just one of the tremendously entertaining things about this film. Again, one of those comic book elements of what world, what universe are we in? We're in this fun one where I can be on an alien planet, bust out a 1980s-style Sony Walkman and listen to some tunes from the 70s and dropkick little alien lizards across the planet. Well, and you know, I want to add to that point because I think we we learned something so interesting from a a screenwriting perspective, right? Just in, in terms of the mechanics of what that Walkman represents, right? That is a totem. And and it's a wonderful totem, this sort of item around which we get to see other characters react to Peter Quill's character. And that sequence, when he goes into the to the uh, the jailer and says, you got to give that back to me, and the other characters watch him willing to be electrocuted uh, mm. by the guard uh, in order to get back this totem... Um, it was a really powerful moment, and you can see that even on Rocket Raccoon's face, even on, on Gamora's yeah. face, you can watch them learning about him uh, by the lengths to which he will go to salvage this piece of plastic. Neat. This music. It's a good point. I thought that was really special. Well, it, what's uh, also interesting, and I think it's, it may have been completely lost on the younger viewers in the crowd, you know, the, the you know, younger adults, young 20s or whatever is that to realize that after 26 years that tape would have been so stretched out yeah right (laughs) that there'd be no way you would have heard that i mean that was totally clear music that's unrealistic (laughs) good good point good point equally good point Um, one of the things that I wanted to say real quick about the soundtrack that is uh, illustrative of the idea of smarter than it needs to be is Peter was abducted, quote unquote, abducted around when? 1988. 88. With that being, it could have been his mixtape that it could have been a lot of low hanging fruit, really obvious jokes of like, ha ha, crazy 80s songs. Yeah. 
that would have been in a lesser writer or lesser director's hands. That would have been the easy thing to do. Of can't touch this and stuff like that for these crazy. But instead, because it was his mom's mix made from things from her era, then it was this they were used smartly and it was used sort of beautifully and it's probably introducing a lot of kids and teenagers to songs they never possibly would have heard of. They they didn't use the soundtrack for, I guess you could say evil purposes, right? They didn't, like you said, they didn't use all the, uh, um, like almost stereotypical eighties reference song references that they could have made. Right. They they did hammer home the Kevin Bacon thing a bit, which I thought was used to, you know, fine. Did, and let me know if I'm derailing the current, rail that we're on i don't know how to talk is um did anyone else have in it's super it's it was actually confusion for me versus nitpicky originally was did peter quill once he was abducted at 10 did he ever have any other influence like um visit earth or anything the only reason i brought that up is because with his references what do you think he was like around 10 yeah yeah and if this is a nothing thing, then that's fine. But it seemed like, like I understood that he would reference, if you leave the Earth in 88 at 10 years old, I understand that you're referencing Raiders of the Lost Ark because Raiders would be your jam. But he also references Maltese Falcon and like Jackson Pollock. Did that, it, they were all funny, but did that stand out for anyone of why would it, why would a 10 year old know that stuff unless he had more well, knowledge believe, about the Earth? I well, his mom did listen to good music. So oh, so maybe, oh, yeah, so maybe. Yeah, maybe have gotten that from mom. Okay. Oh, okay. And, uh, I'm fine with that. And later on in life, Peter Quill's a friend of the podcast. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <laughs> okay. Just saying that about the mom, that he, if he had just been listening to dumb 80s teen music or something, then I would have more trouble with that. But that makes sense, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Well, I thought, I thought it was a reference to the, like, the, uh, the um, shard or whatever it is being almost like this. This uh, boondoggle or or sort of um, MacGuffin, yeah, Yeah, MacGuffin, because that's like what the Maltese Falcon was, right? Right. Oh, totally. Just that a ten-year-old would know what the Maltese Falcon was. I I almost, I almost got that from like, uh, you know, maybe he has Netflix or something. In eighty-eight? No, no, no. In outer space, running around in outer space, like he's like he's never gone back to Earth, but he's like kind of kept up with. That's my question: was does he have any kind of influence or connection to Terra? Terran or whatever they well, call it. Well, it sounds like everyone knows flat. about Terra, but it's like a backwater or something. Sure. And no one's really interested in it. Okay. But at least that's, that's how I got, I got the impression. Yeah. That, cool. You know, assumed. Before we go into, uh, go too far into, I, I do want to talk about how you saw these films, mostly because I feel so good that I'm in the club. Oh, that's right. You have running water now or something. <laughs> <laughs> I am so excited, but uh, did did I, I finally seen my first Atmos film? Woo! Not only did I see it, but I went to a new theater, like like pretty much brand new, and so it was the new Ultra 4K uh, dis, uh, projection. It was the the new screens, the 80, 80 foot screen. Um, How many state lines did you have to cross to get just, to this theater? Just one. How many passports did you use? <laughs> One passport stamp, you buzzkill. Um, but uh, but it was it, it was really uh, spectacular. So I saw I did see Dolby 3D uh, Atmos, and How this is my 3D? first. 
you know, the 3D was, I did not like the 3D as well as, uh, as frankly, as real 3D. I, I thought the, the, you know, it wasn't that the 3D was bad. It was, it was uh, the experience. The glasses weren't as good. The, like, it was just, uh, like, the, just the watching experience wasn't as, as nice. Um, but the, the, the 3D, because this was not a real 3D film. It wasn't shot using right. 3D camera. But, uh, Andy, didn't you read that this was uh, one that they had 3D in mind? Yeah, uh, right from the start, even though James Gunn knew he wasn't going to be filming it in 3D with cameras, he was planning um, just how things would look in 3D as he was shooting things so that he was constantly thinking, okay, how can I do this, uh, shoot this scene to make, to really enhance the 3D. And Mm. so it was always in the back of his mind as he made it from beginning to end rather than kind of an afterthought. And and I would say, if did anybody else see it in 3D? Steve, uh, did you in your little island theater have any 3D? No, no, no? just regular regular that, 2D. So that's a little sore. Did you see it in 1D? <laughs> <laughs> Is it in color? Um, I, uh, I I would say that uh, <laughs> I would add add to that that the um, you know that the 3D the the Dolby 3D I just did not have a good experience with the 3D of the film was not garish it was not over overblown it was really quite elegant and and I felt like it just the extra depth was good for the film like you could you could tell it was well presented I, there were no moments and I fully expected these moments you know when um, uh, Michael. Rooker's character has this fancy whistle-controlled uh, arrow that is, right. is really quite an, it's an elegant weapon. Uh, and if it weren't for all the dumb whistling he had to do to make it work, It'd be awesome. <laughs> but I fully, I fully expected that to come flying at me more than once, and mm. and I didn't get any of that. Like there, there was none of that. Oh, look, they tried to make me duck. Um, so it was really well, well planned 3D. I enjoyed it. Um, How did the fireflies look? beautiful yeah they were lovely was that kind of neatly you know what it wasn't it wasn't as good as uh, and still the the stunning um 3d use of particulates is still avatar um you know in either in the you know in the aftermath of the burning tree or when the jellyfish things are floating around in the thing and they're doing romance like those pieces i really felt like i could reach out and touch those things right Uh, those were stunning bits of filmmaking and that makes it worth paying more to go see 3d um i didn't get any of that i just really you i didn't feel this is what it is i didn't feel anything coming out to me i felt depth into the into the scene okay right Mm. um which i thought was it, it was nice it was nice um but the atmos uh i was it was sort of a mixed bag i I wanted, I think I'd set my, because of you losers, I'd set my standards, so my expectations so high um, that I, I felt like I was a little bit underwhelmed, but mostly because it's such a busy film. Yeah. And that's something I noticed because I did see it in Atmos, and it was it was just very busy, and, and there was nothing that stood out to me through the entire film as wow, that was a great Atmos yeah. moment. The, the the best Atmos moment was the Atmos trailer before the it, film it started. It always is. It which, always oh, is. Oh man, I all three yep. of us, my kids and I, were standing there. We were literally floored into our seats with the the shimmering and the birds and stuff. That was stunning, and that made it worth the the trip, you know, to, to go to this theater. But I will be doing this again. It was it was a great experience. I can't wait to see a film that's a little bit more uh, orally subdued in order yeah. to see it really work. Right. And I could totally see what you guys were saying with Planet of the Apes in Atmos. It must have been fantastic. 
Uh, I would know. I can't remember not seeing things in Atmos. Mm. Oh, right. That's where your tagline goes in. I'm the worst. <laughs> I'm the worst. <laughs> no, I can't I'm read. So I'm dating a toaster. <laughs> my, oh, my stairs. Viewing, my viewing experience was more along of Steve's this week. I was in, it was 2D, and it was third row from the front. Ooh. Oh, wow. wow. And wow. let me tell you, I will, I will say this, you know, when they say that, you know, every seat in the house is the same cost, uh, every viewing experience is not not equal. Um, and especially this mo- particular movie, because there was so much going on, like shifting cameras and stuff, my, my eyes literally unlinked several times to, <laughs> in the movie where I just like, could not focus. Because the uh, uh, reason is... Uh, Trying to make a seven-year-old understand what we need to leave three, 30 minutes before because it's opening weekend means is is a uh, was unsuccessful. Mm. <laughs> well, and and that's a handy new adaptation that you have, though. We'll call that evolution that you can separate your eyes like that. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, if, if it was one of those paintings that where where you know it's, it's got the the stereograms, uh, yeah. yeah, the stereogram, and there was something in it, I could have seen it. Because <laughs> it's like, done. Uh, Andy, Tom, I yeah, good. A- Atmos, digital, three D, everything. What did you no, see? Di- no three D, but digital. All right. Yeah, and I saw it in Atmos. I I was curious to see. I, I oh Atmos. Yeah, sorry. I would be interested in seeing this in IMAX because I hear that it does have some aspect ratio shifts throughout, and they handle it nicely when they do. So that uh, did pique my curiosity. So if I do go see this again, I might check it out in IMAX. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I wanted to see it in IMAX. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm so, I hate those transitions. And, and in my book, there's only one movie that's done it right. And that was, uh, Batman. The, no, which was oh, terrible. I that hated was, I know, Batman. That's what I was about to say. No, it was the Hunger Games, the last Hunger Games. Uh, oh, because it changed. The, the, yeah, they changed once in a beautiful part of the film. And it, they, like the aspect ratio changed in a part that I thought added to the transition of the movie, uh, that sequence of the film. So it, it, and it only did it once. It didn't go back and forth. Right. And uh-huh. so, um, yeah, so I'm, I'll be interested to see. Uh, plus, I just like seeing it in IMAX. So. Yeah, I'll, I'll hit it again. Um, all right. Any other uh, any other hot topics before we jump to our favorite uh, part? I don't think. I will so. say that number two. Um, I I, uh, I think it may suffer from the same problem that most sequels have is that a tremendous amount of this film was backstory related. So it will be interesting to see what they do with with a full movie of uh, content required. Yeah. I will say that the, the, the great part about Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is somebody has already put a synopsis up on IMDb that says, someone will try to take over the world and the Guardians of the Galaxy will stop them. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to chase after another glowy purple thing. I wrote nice. that. <laughs> May as well yeah. have, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. You know, we didn't, we didn't talk about uh, Tyler Bates. I don't think we've ever talked about Tyler Bates on any show. But the guy's got a healthy number of credits and uh, he, he did, did the, the score. Yeah, Dawn of the Dead. Oh, you're right. You did Dawn of the Dead. We did talk about him. Dawn I don't know if we mentioned him, but yeah. But Sucker Punch. Uh, you know, he's he's been sort of part of this. Um, you know, Watchmen. Uh, I really, I, I really enjoyed the score, and not just the soundtrack. Like it, just the entire musical element of this film, I thought was really well done. Yeah. So. Yep. Yeah. He's he's one... somebody who who he goes up and down as far as what he does, but uh, there are a lot of movies that he's done scores for that. Are so much better than the movie warranted. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I do enjoy Tyler Bates. Yeah, all right. We didn't 
we didn't really talk about Lee Pace as Ronan and as the main villain of the film. I'm gonna, and I'm wondering, I'm wondering if that's because we didn't feel like there was much to say about him. He was bad. You, that's what, kind of all I felt about it. You mean just as a bad guy? Oh yeah, no, I don't mean he was bad like poor. I mean oh. he was just mean. Yeah, but he was so covered up, like there was. You could, almost you could tell no, by all that makeup. Right there was because and because the makeup was so strong and his outfit was so covering, like almost no personality was able to come through. He was just the big bad, and I was okay with it personally. He was a nice target, and that made the uh, the final kind of showdown when the guardians kind of grabbed hands in the middle of the purple vortex. That was a really nice triumphant moment. I I mean I enjoyed it. I enjoyed kind of the feeling, the kind of emotional connection of them really kind of taken him apart and and uh you know i thought it was fine but again i like you I, he was bad and a target and that was that was about it and i didn't even connect that he's the uh he's the elf king in the hobbit movies oh, that's oh my really God. funny i didn't either wow my head's about to explode <laughs> so so i so guess I we can bad. talk about him in december so the other one we don't we didn't talk about is that other sort of uh, is thanos uh, uh which uh, really Oh, wow. I just don't know who anyone is. Oh, <laughs> there were he was the guy big in bad the, guys in the rocket chair. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the rocket chair. And it was played by uh, Josh Brolin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really? Yeah. Yes. yes. Why are we paying Glenn Close and Vin Diesel and Josh Brolin <laughs> to do these things? That's so dumb. It I was... remember paying Vin Diesel for "I Am Groot." Right. Well, Ugh. and serious, serious spoiler: the after credit sequence is another uncredited performance uh, oh, by right. Seth Green. Uh, oh, that's the voice. Yeah, who I I deeply hope ends up in a movie of this character. I think that would it has to redeem the last time they tried this uh, mm. that character. So <laughs> uh, anyway, it it was uh, I any so um, uh, yeah I you know these were those were to Mike's point the, those little backstory snippets felt like end of credit sequences like the Thanos Ronan. Uh, uh, Ronan Ronan sequence felt like an end of credit sequence for some other movie that should have been explained better here mm. i mean i got over it but i just expected a little bit more kind of understanding it was just not clear enough to me so I, yeah i mean it's it, a little it messy just, yeah it, it just lends more to yeah. why like like the fear of the bad thing happening tm trademark yeah. um if you kind of know why like you know why it's actually setting up i mean it was just like yes he wants to do this and we need to stop him and you know maybe a little bit more than that is required but well, but i thought he did a pretty good yeah. i thought he was he was a approach appro- appropriately um sinister and when uh, drax was trying to beat him up uh you know he can handle his own business really calmly yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean drax is Me a pretty like tough him. guy so you know but yeah. other than that it was like oh well yeah, well, right. I guess it's, you know, again, we've got, you know, in, in the Avengers, we've got Loki, you know, and we, we see, that's like when we first see Thanos is sort of the end credits of Avengers, and it's just this, just sort of like the profile of, of Thanos, and now we got a little bit more of Thanos, and it's like, okay, here's really the, the big bad of the, the Marvel Universe, is, you know, but, you know, audience members that, that don't read the comic books really don't know who this character is, what's going on, and, and from what I've sort of been seeing in, you know, the information that's coming out of like comic-con about avengers age of ultron you know is don't expect to see thanos in that film so it's like okay is it 2017 18 when when do we get the sort of the big payoff how long 
Uh, are they going to be teasing this out? You know, is there a much larger story? How does this, all this come together? Or, you know, have they figured out what they are going to do with this storyline? Because going back to the first Thor film, you know, it's where we've got the, you know, we get the cube and, you know, that's come out. And now we've got the, you know, we're getting all these infinity stones. So now is it is it sort of like Harry Potter collecting the Horcruxes? It's just, you know, we're, we're slowly piecing these things together over these arcs, these films, which are very entertaining in themselves, but when do we start to see the payoff for all well, I believe all these they've pieces. said that I believe they said that Avengers 3 is going to be uh, Thanos is the baddie in that one. Oh, okay. there you go. Oh, so uh, that's why else? Josh Brolin. Yeah, that's why they ca- that's oh, why Josh Brolin that. is on board because he's everyone's is Thanos. Back. Right. Oh, okay. And that's I think what happens in a lot of these sorts of films is you get these people who agree to yeah, I'll come on and be a bit player in this um, knowing that you know, I will have a much bigger role in some Got films it. down the road, yeah. And yeah, then, like then like uh, like Avengers, uh, like Captain America's sidekick uh, Bucky. <laughs> right, dude's gonna get a so, lot of movies out of this run. Yes, he is. Does Does anyone else feel that like the big bad evil force in the in some of these Marvel films need to go to the other side of the hue? I mean, we got the blue from the uh, from the uh, Captain America. <laughs> and we got the purple. It's like I feel it's like appropriately depressing colors, and I think a light, summery evil force should be introduced in some of these movies, like a well, red. We do have the red yellow. skull. We have the red. We skull. had red skull, oh, and now we have yeah, Hunter. Use the blue lighty stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. You know, maybe and, they're and, all falls. Because <laughs> if they autumn. use green, I'm going to start saying that they're going to be trying to channel Green Lantern or yeah. something. So well, they like, have that coming too at some point, I think. Well, that's DC. Let's, uh, that is, that's DC, right? Uh, <laughs> let's do, let's rank it, shall we? Is everybody up for ranking? <laughs> sure. Let's do it. Let's do it. Oh, I wonder what's uh, going to happen now. <laughs> okay, this is going to be regrettable. Out of the gate, uh, as you'll remember for Edge of Tomorrow, I sang a short 80s theme song. Uh <laughs> Songs that used to reference the actual movies and characters. <laughs> and then I also remembered that in the 80s and 90s, uh, they also did rap songs <laughs> that were based about the characters and the movies themselves. Oh, no. So, unfortunately, yeah, Oh No is right. I wrote a very quick rap song for <laughs> Galaxy of the Guardians. You just Here's keep how... your tempo right, because I, <laughs> I could drop in a, a bass line for you. Okay, here's how it goes. <clears throat> Deep breath. <laughs> Wait, hold on. I can't. Don't make me laugh. Hold on, because I have to do it almost all in one breath. Here we go. Galaxy Guardians here to please the audience. All pleasantries they have dispensed their legacy will now commence. Star Lord, Gamora, Rocket, Drax, and the group as the heroes of the universe who surely should root for them. But for us, film board now's our part. Time to rank them up and shake them up. Let's break them off another flick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, boy. <laughs> That's right. Those uh, were a bunch of words. <laughs> you got that skills, bro. Mad wow, you just dropped a thesaurus skills. on us. Thank you. Well, I'm from the streets. That was awesome. It was as awesome as our Flickchart board. If you go to flickchart.com slash, uh, wait a minute, TNR film board. Yes. Yes, let's go there. And then you can see how, uh, we'll see how uh, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy stacks up. Uh, against all the films that we've done on the show, what are we up to? I mean, we've got to be up to what 70, 80, 22? On, on, on the yeah. film board? This, the film will, board be, this will be number 25. 25. Yeah. 25. So, will it break the top 10? That's the big question. Uh, we've talked but... about a lot of crappy movies. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, here we go. Guardians of the Galaxy or Cloud Atlas? Oh! oh. My old friend Cloud I mean, my new friend Cloud Atlas. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy. I know, I said it. Guardians. I'll Guardians. say Guardians. Yeah, okay. Uh, Guardians or Captain America the Winter Soldier? Oh. I'll do I'll do Guardians. Really? I, I will do Guardians yep. and I will again <laughs> give my reason Dharma Initiative Exposition Bunker. My goodness. Every time you say that, it's like it a does, whole new so, thing to me. I have to think it just about it. really bothered me in this one. Just nope, Guardians of the Galaxy. Easily. Okay, fine. Type in the digits. I must abstain. What? Mike, what about you? Well, I said Guardians. Oh, you did? Okay, so yeah. Guardians it is. Yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy or Dawn of the Planet of the Apes? Guardians. I think I'll do Dawn. hair trigger on sad. Well, maybe remember, maybe Because of the animals hurting animals. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Mike, yeah, no, Tom had all those, those funny feelings Animal inside after the ape movie, yeah. <laughs> those funny feelings. <laughs> 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 I did. Well, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, do, go I'll do Planet of the Apes. I'll say Guardians. Steve said Guardians. Is that right? Yeah, I enjoyed this. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm looking at I, what am I going to watch over and over again? And I, I mean, yes, they both have high rewatchability, but there's just something well-rounded. It's it's all those quadrants of humor and action. And right now, I'm feeling very Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. All right. All right. Guardians of the Galaxy or Edge of Tomorrow? Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of tomorrow, think chart. All right, well there you go. Guardians of the Galaxy is now number three on our sweet. Wow, wow. I feel good about that. I feel good about that. Yeah, it's a good spot for it. What's one and two, or do we not review? Number number one is Gravity. Number two is Edge of Tomorrow. Three is Guardians. Four is Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Five is Prisoners. Prisoners, hanging in there. Prisoners, yeah, yeah. That that wow. would have been a hard one. I'm glad that one didn't come up. Yeah, yeah you know we've got that. But rounding out, you got to finish the top ten, right? Yeah, World War Z, Looper, Captain America: The Winter Soldier, Side Effects, and The Hobbit: The Desolation of Smaug. Yeah, I sort of can't There's believe there's a Hobbit in there. Come <laughs> on, it's almost unfair for the Hobbit. One, one more month, I believe it. Uh, I'm a little surprised that Side Effects is still hanging in the top ten. That is surprising, although I still really like that movie. But that's yeah. it doesn't yeah. seem to be in the same pedigree as a lot of these other yeah. movies. Yeah. Anyway, I will say the it's unfair to put the Hobbits in there until all three are released and you can vote them all as one. That's the way the do we have to we it. have to do that. We should do that. Is that what you're saying? No, oh, yeah. that's where the Academy does it. No, they don't. Sort of. When do they ever? You're making themselves? that up. They no, gave like the all last of all the awards to the, the last, last movie. The last movie, the last movie. Oh, always gets all I see movies. what you mean. Yeah. Which right. is basically like you know saying you're 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 playing in a two-hour <laughs> pond with a nine-nine-hour gorilla. It's saying, "I'm sorry, I did not know what, what? this machine did." <laughs> hey, uh, this was a uh, this was a good show, everybody. Thank you. Nice talk. We, this was a little bit epic, a little bit epic on the on the talking. Especially yeah. once I add Chad's half hour of explosive commentary. Oh, right. Put it in post? I'm going to do that in post. Just replace hey, me with him. <laughs> <laughs> I think that'll all work out fine. This was a uh, thank you, everybody. Steve Sarmento. Thank you, sir. Oh, it's always a pleasure. And Uber Mike Evans. I am Mike. 
Tommy <laughs> Handsome. He is Mike. <laughs> and Andy Nelson. My Saludos. Dear friend and colleague. Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Head over to thenextreel.com and you can catch up with all the uh, other uh, film board episodes and all the shows that Andy and I do on this thing. We're in the middle, we're wrapping up our Terry Gilliam uh, series. So if you haven't listened to the regular show, you should do that because, man. We rocked it on the, the Fisher King this week, right? Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Rocked it. Crushed it. I kind of uh, felt like you guys were the Fisher Kings. <laughs> I don't know what All to right. make of that. I'm going to take that as a compliment. Yeah, you were supposed to because oh, it had good. the word king in it. Yes, right. That's how I – well, and Fisher, yeah. Fisher people, I think, are just exactly. generally good people. I've never known a Fisher that I didn't like. And, uh, and so uh, next week, 12 Monkeys. Got to hang in for that. Uh, yes. and otherwise, I don't know what we're doing next month. We're about to decide, so you should definitely come back and listen to the film board, uh, Gang of Thugs, uh, next month. Thanks, and you everybody. can find out, find out on the Letterboxd uh, watch oh. list what, what we have for next month. That's right, because it's not up there yet, right? We haven't actually decided. No. Yeah, okay, we've got good. the next Reels film board watch list, so we'll, we'll get it up there soon. We'll, it, we will. It's coming. It's coming. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next month. Does anyone else like have that running in their heads? No. Whatever that song is. What is that song? Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash originals and get your next read today.